What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to episode 631 with my guest Kelly Collette. I am Paul Gilmartin, and yes, I am uh, still battling the flu. Um, I want to apologize. Uh, I want to apologize for having the flu. <laughs> it's my fault. I'm dumb. I'm dumb. I'm dumb. No, I want to apologize for, uh, I guess it was two episodes ago, the interview with my uh, my mentor, Bill. Uh, I left almost a full minute of dead air in there. I got up to, uh, the pen I was using ran out of ink, and I got up to go get another pen, and I forgot to edit that out when I, uh, when I edited the episode. So, uh, yeah, that was not intentional, and... Uh, Shout out to my girlfriend, Christina, for uh, for the heads up and letting me know. Um, I had something to share with you, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, I wanted to share with you that I have a terrible memory. That's what I forgot. Let's jump into... Oh, um, preface, as I always say, I'm not a therapist, uh, not a professional barely a functioning human being so take everything i say with a grain of salt but please spread it around this is from the voice in your head survey and this is filled out by your filipina cna and uh she uh writes what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself are you really struggling mentally or are you just an attention whore oh that is such a good one that is such a good one. To which I would like to say, you know, an attention whore is somebody that that interrupts someone else's award acceptance speech and starts talking into the microphone. Talking about struggling mentally is a fucking sober-ass, healthy way for us to cope. This is also from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by Rel. Uh, Some of the things you tell yourself about yourself, you are creative, you are a bitch, you are selfish, you are smart, you are manipulative, you are hopeless, you are pretty, you are ugly, you are in pain, you are doing your best, you are skilled, you are slow, you are trying. Those are great. Those are great. I mean, isn't that just a, a, in a nutshell, what our brains do every day? If you took away the positive stuff? This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself not sleepy at all. Uh, And she writes, uh, I've been fighting depression. And one day I said to my spouse, uh, you know, you could also make the bed. And he said, 
it's a bit hard when you're in it. <laughs> and we both laughed at his response. It's so it's so freeing when you can laugh about either a condition that that you're battling or something that you and somebody else are fighting together. So I I love I love hearing that, man. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey, and uh, the psych girl herself asks, any pearls of wisdom for your own experience that you can share uh, to help myself and my patients cope with being uncomfortable in some spaces but not setting up shop there? And I assume by that you mean being in a situation that you're uncomfortable in um, and not staying there too long, to which I would, I'll share what I do, which is the first thing I ask myself is, am I filtering reality through a fear of mine? You know, is it the the fear that I'm going to be bored or somebody's going to yell at me or I'm going to disappoint somebody? Or is it something that's based in reality? Somebody's being toxic, somebody's being ugly, uh, you know, it's, it, it's just not not my jam, what, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's important for me to understand what is real and what I'm filtering through through my brain. And the second question uh, would be, what are your boundaries? Have you set any boundaries for this? Is there a person there who's pushed your boundaries before? Have you set them with them? Maybe now might be a time to set them. Uh, do you have independent transportation? That's something I always try to have so that I don't feel trapped in situations. Um, and I think if, you're, if you understand your fears, your boundaries, and your options for getting out of there, it can, it can make it a lot less stressful being in social or even professional uh, situations. You know, understanding... The importance of us not allowing our well-being to be compromised uh, is more important than pleasing someone, my opinion. So if you share that you're struggling and somebody's like, makes you feel bad, because that's what you feel, I would not consider that person a good friend. I, I couldn't imagine being in a situation where a friend of mine is like, you know, I'm having a panic attack. I, I, I'm, I'm going to take off. I couldn't imagine saying, just stay for another 20 minutes. We haven't blown the candles out yet. I hope that helps. And if not, you know what? Go fuck yourself. You, you and your clients. What do you think of that? But don't carpool together because one of you might need to leave you want to be you don't want to be stuck there this is from the voice in your head survey filled out by franny fascia and uh, some of the things you tell yourself about yourself you're a weak-ass bitch and surviving a flesh-eating disease what's the only thing you were good at oh my god that is one of my favorite sentences in 12 years of doing the podcast. Surviving a flesh-eating disease was the only thing you were good at. 
Everyone thinks you're annoying except for your dog. You're not smart enough to pursue a career in the medical field and your PTSD and depression will likely cause you to fail. The trauma you experienced happened because you were a bad person. You're pretty funny though, so at least you have that going for you. And then dot, 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 whoa. Uh, and uh, I don't know, why that, that wouldn't be called a smiley face where the, lip, the, the, the lips are on an angle. I think that's an uncomfortable face. Uh, thank you for that. That that, uh, And I'm not making light of your struggles. It's just uh, your brain. Your brain's meanness, creativity makes me, makes me laugh. So thank you for that. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Uh, I had a session with uh, my therapist, Heidi, and, you know, so much of therapy is really just empowering us to, to tap into the sides of ourselves uh, that are good and positive and healthy and uh, trying to create awareness around the sides of ourselves that are no longer working for us. Uh, so if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. I love not having to leave the house. Uh, it's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com mental today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash mental. And uh, be sure to include the slash metal part so they know you, you came from the podcast. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. And then finally, this is uh, from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a guy who calls himself, I can't even fail right, about his alcoholism, he writes, uh, or his uh, drug addiction. If I'm on speed, at least I can explain uh, why everyone has always thought that I'm too much. About his depression, stop telling me how great I am. You sound like an idiot. And if someone hears you, you're going to end up just as pathetic as me. And about his ADD, I start off having to go to work or something, so I Google how bad traffic is so that when I brush my teeth, it will somehow remind me to find my car keys that I know are lost in a pocket of one of my denim jackets, 
and either the drying machine or the washer. Consequently, I will finally be stressed out enough to fold all my laundry so that I can be angry about how I can't vacuum my room due to the fact that I vacuumed a shoelace even though I only own Chelsea boots, so now I have to figure out who to yell at because there's a shoelace in my room, but I can't find my phone, and when I do, it's dead. Then I see my charger cord in the trash because I broke it, and I haven't ordered a new one yet because every time I open my computer to try and order a new one on the website, I watch porn. My consciousness might be disintegrating. Heavy weighted blanket on my brain. Symptomatically. And I can't think straight. Things present themselves for a reason. And I can't see straight. I couldn't even drive. The first movie that I remember watching with him. Post-traumatic stress. When I was like five years old was Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and moral injury. I would act out the scenes. Gonna go to hell. Or with my Barbies. <laughs> the greatest source of our suffering. Ordinary is where all the good stuff happens. Is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions. It is very hard to heal and dark isolation. I developed compassion. It is in connection and community where that happens. The process was nearly unbearable. Like, I'm going to have to kill myself. We'll be right back after this. (laughs) I am uh, here with Kelly Collette, who's a very funny stand-up comedian and uh, listener to the show. Very long-time listener. I love that. I was the first one ever. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Um, You... We had, uh, did I reach out to you on Twitter? I think I probably DM'd you something. Okay. But I invited you on the show because comedians are usually great guests. That's what you would say. Yes. I was saying to Kelly before we started recording, I've only recorded two comedians where I felt like uh, it was unairable because I never got past the surface. Name them. I'm just but to some of the issues you have, um, well, actually, let, to, to start things off, uh, one of the things that, that Kelly had um, DM'd me was uh, she thanked me for yes. reading her survey. This is probably back in... God, like okay, 12 years? Like so long ago. A long time ago. You yeah. filled it out in 2014. Oof. So, yeah. Um, and uh, do you... Do you would yeah. you be comfortable reading it? I think so. Out loud, you could feel free to edit anything out on the fly oh that uh, that you want to. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't thought about, I mean, I know that I wrote you and I know you listened to the, or you read the survey out loud and I remember you saying, wow, that was really heavy and it gave me like the biggest emotional release to hear someone else like validate like the things that had gone on in my life that were actually like, oh, that is kind of messed up, right? Because you would tell people and, you know, you, you don't realize if you're you're like gaslighting yourself in a way to be like, it's not that yes. big of a deal. And then like to be able to type it out and you were like, ah, that's pretty bad. I was like. I'm glad you got, got to hear that. I wish everybody could get to have the experience of somebody unconditionally yes. validating uh, yeah. what they've what they've been through. Well, even therapists sometimes they're just like. I've heard it all and they don't blink, but for someone to be like, yeah, that's really bad. Right. It's not a contest, but I wanted to win anyway. (laughs) And, uh, it it felt really good to hear that. So that's why I think I thanked you and told you my name. I said, I told you what my username, what username, that's not what they call it. What's the name that you give? Oh, the, the, the survey um, name? pseudonym. Pseudonym. Yeah, yeah. I was like, here's my thing. And you were like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Yes. So. Um, and then I and then I did. I realized that when you said yeah. you know, my name was such and such, I filled it out under. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, 
I feel like everybody puts under the, have you ever been a victim of sexual abuse? Mm -hmm. I'm just going to. Some stuff happens, but I don't know if it counts. I I hear most people answer that way. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said that uh, we should start a band called Some Stuff Happened, (laughs) but I don't know if it counts. We're just always like gaslighting ourselves. There's no like astounding yes. Um, Mm. If you're comfortable sharing it, what happened and how do you feel about it? Okay. So I wrote back in back in the day. I never realized before listening to your show that what happened to me was sexual abuse Growing up, my father would say things that always made me uncomfortable, whether it was commenting on my body about how I had a nice butt or legs, but no breasts, to making up funny rhymes about my, oh my God, how my boyfriend would finger me. That was, it was such a dumb, I remember being in fourth grade and he made up a a rhyme and said it out loud and made all my friends laugh. And uh, yeah, I was like, that's disgusting. Why would you say that? Fourth grade. Um... I'd always get visibly uncomfortable, but my dad would laugh it off like we were best friends. He was always the cool dad to my friends, and nothing was off limits. Uh, he sold drugs in front of me and even uh, bought bought me and my friends beer for our parties. One night, I could hear him having loud sex with one of his girlfriends. I banged on the door, disgusted, telling them to stop, and I could hear them laughing at me inside. It did not stop. Um, I told him how inappropriate it was. That his, at the time, 16-year-old daughter could hear that. And he mentioned um, that he could also hear me and my boyfriend. And it made him mad, too. Oh, wow. I don't remember that part. I mean, I remember it now, but I don't remember that until reading it again. Um, the first date I had with my now husband, my dad commented to him that he should try to get me drunk so I would give him roadhead. The boyfriend, not my dad. <laughs> uh, um, let's see. I'm sure I could think of more things. Look at me. I'm already trailing off on my trail off. I'm ready. I'm sure I could think of more things, but why would I? I don't want to be this person, this person that this happened to. He makes it seem like it's no big deal and everyone just laughs it off, especially him. And when I tell it, when I tell him it bothers me, I don't think my dad would ever have wanted to try to touch me. I don't know if he was trying, what he was trying to do is the sexual abuse. And that's why like, I love listening to your podcast too, because you talk a lot about, um, emotional incest and stuff like that. And I was just like, whenever I hear about that, uh, so much of that is like, okay, this is a real thing. It's a real thing. You are, you are taking a placeholder of a parent that's not there and they feel like you are an extension of them and that they have the right to say these things to you or to sexualize you in some way or to use you as a pseudo partner or friend. Yeah. Instead of a parent. So Um, Let's see. My mother left our family when I was a teenager, but before that, I remember telling her about an incident in a park where a man asked me uh, to have sex with him. I think I was around nine or ten. I watched her put on her makeup as she barely reacted. Other things I have told her she just brushes off. So I just realized that no one is going to protect me except for myself. I could go on, but honestly, this is the first time confronting this in my head or thinking these things out loud, and I'm getting emotional. Look at me. I'm a stone-cold, uh, unemotional being right now, <laughs> reading it back. That's a lot of that's a lot of self-work right there to be able to... Do you remember mm-hmm. what you felt? Uh, you described what you felt when you heard it read on yeah. the podcast, but do you remember what you felt when you were filling it out? Oh, Wow. Shame and secret. I remember thinking, I hope that he can't find my IP address and trace it to my name. 
Uh, I do not. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I specifically do not collect yeah. because I've had people confess to murders. Wow. Um, yeah. I, molesting I, yeah. all kinds of, uh, of stuff. Yeah. It's like it's like you're a priest, but you didn't take any kind of <laughs> vow. Right. But you're just like, I'm just going to do the honor system anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I remember thinking like. I was crying. Definitely. I was crying when I was filling it out. And then I was like, I should keep going. And then I was like, yeah, he's probably not going to read this. And I'm just doing it for me. And it's just going out to the universe. And, you know, that's it. Yeah. That's all I could think of. I think. Yeah. As long as you sit in silence, I will keep talking. Just so you know, I will fill this empty space. <laughs> I, I have a lot of of things going through my head right now that, okay. I, that I want to talk about. Would okay. you uh, yeah. be comfortable reading more of yes. uh, your survey? And yes. feel free to like if the uh, sexual fantasies if you don't want to read oh, that yeah, because that. it's a public mm, thing. Yeah, let's feel not free, do that. Feel free to skip Just over that. Just watch my stand-up. That's, uh, that's fine. <laughs> um, um, have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Um, let's see. I feel like the sexual comments were emotional abuse. Uh, my father, my father would also tell me everything and anything to get me to hate my mother after she left. Uh, <laughs> I guess, yeah, physical abuse was like hitting, you know, mm-hmm. and then I, I didn't put this, but I used to watch like my mom being beat up. Right. And so By that, your dad. my dad. Yeah. So that would really, really affect me. I guess I didn't put that in the survey, but I would say that's such emotional abuse to just like be. Yeah present in the room that was happening in and be helpless be helpless yeah or be told to shut up or go somewhere else or be quiet and then just like you know the house collects itself together and everybody pretends like it doesn't happen so and the wires it must cross in your head about what love looks like oh yeah that's that's probably where like all of my this is why you know you do stand up you have trauma this is where like the whole like unworthiness feels like or you know you watch you repeat patterns that you see your parents did and like, you know, like, you know, take forgiveness and taking people back when they don't deserve it and all those things, you know, you just kind of learn that like people are fucked up and, uh, you know, what is my threshold? What was my mother's threshold? Apparently not a lot. So that's, you know, he said, sorry, you know, so that's a, that's a huge mind bender too. What were the circumstances of your mom leaving? Oh, yeah. Um, So she finally left when I was a a teenager. And um, she I think she tried to leave a couple times because she would like leave and come back. And finally, um, she met this guy and they got married and they're like, we're just moving to Florida. And I think it was really probably her moving away that she was able to break that trauma bond with my father. But unfortunately, she left me there and my sister. So... You know, as an adult, sometimes I go to her. I see her once a year. I go to her. You know, and I always try and always try and get my word in. <laughs> I always mm-hmm. try and broach that "why did you leave me" conversation, and mm-hmm. she just is kind of like, "What? What was I supposed to do? Like, you, you probably wouldn't want to have gone. You were still in high school, and he had all the power and the money, and I couldn't really take you. I had nothing. I had to go, and I." I've tried to, like, forgive her as much as I could for just, like, doing what was best for her. Because I can see now she's happier and I can see, like, what a bad situation she was in. But I'm like, damn it, why didn't you just take me out of that, too? You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to be there. God damn it, Paul. Now I'm <laughs> This works. It works. Work the system. Work the program. 
Yeah. We're getting into it too fast. (laughs) It wouldn't. No, 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 no. Um, It would have been nice for your mom to have initiated that conversation and say, hey, by the way, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Oh, man. Would that have felt good? I imagine that would have, but. (laughs) Yeah. For a lot of us, we Mm -hmm. never get that. No. We never get that. Or if we do, it's a crumb of, uh, okay, I'm not perfect. All right, I'm sorry or something. Yes. But you don't feel felt. Yeah. And there's nothing like feeling felt. Ugh. Even the acknowledgement. I feel like it's just gaslight. Like, I would I would bring up things. Do you remember this? Do you remember this was said? No, that didn't happen. Or it wasn't like that. Or it wasn't that bad. And maybe these are the things that she had to tell herself, you know, to get through it. But... Yeah, it would have felt nice. I think I come from a long family of like, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about things that are uncomfortable. We don't mention that. A lot of elephants in the room. Yeah. Very uncomfortable walking around. Yeah. A lot of fucking elephants. A lot of elephants, man. Yeah. A lot of elephants. Growing up in a house like that, and you don't know they're elephants. You just, Mm -hmm. you know, know that you need to morph into whoever you need to morph into in any given situation to keep things under control or running smoothly whether somebody asks you to act a certain way or not i have Um, two modes i have i have freeze uh make myself very small kind of not talk anymore insignificant or i'm the it's the codependency coming out of the fixer right and like then i throw myself into people's problems or you know i insert myself and then i'm just like fix 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 and then I make myself the 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 golden child the helper the overachiever the the you know that was the other way. So, anxiety is a is a big issue in your life and perfectionism. Totally, I have. Uh, I think they call it high functioning anxiety. I looked it up, and it's like um, manic bouts of productivity. It's um, overachieving. It's it's constantly um, defining myself by achievement and prizes and accolades and things like that, and. I think that's probably one of the reasons I never quit comedy is because if I don't have comedian underneath my name on my Instagram handle, then what am I, right? If I don't have these words and these nouns to say author, right? You know what I mean? Then I'm just a fucking person. And what's that going to be like? Right. Just being a, a a person? I can't do that. I got to be, I got, I want people to be able to know who I am the moment they see me so that they can't put me in a, a box. I, I want to decide the box that I'm in. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's some kind of... I think so many of us walk around, especially I think people who were raised in environments that were mm-hmm. invalidating, um, feel that when we get some autonomy in our in our lives, we need to be on a mission to be special, to stand oh, out, to yes. be impressive. Mm-hmm. And it never ever occurred to me that by trying to do that rather than concentrating on the craft of what i'm doing yeah getting caught up in the results what do people think of me you know etc etc it never occurred to me that that was driving me away from from other people because it's like if my worst fear is that i'm one of many Mm -hmm. how am i ever going to feel the beauty of community that's powerful and that I yeah. having to get help for drug addiction and drinking mm-hmm. was where I found the power of being one of many, and that 
I had been operating from a place of fear that I would die and my life would be forgettable. That was my deepest core fear. What core fears do you think operate in inside you? Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'm worried about being forgettable because I think that I would hear people think like, you know, say like they oh they want to, you know, they say you die twice. The last time is when the last person speaks your name. Right. I'm not worried about that because I know eventually it, it'll all be um, forgotten anyway. I if think, you can just improve the quality of your Instagram posts, <laughs> I, you'll listen, never if that be thing will live, They're not going to take that down. I mean, yes. I got so many thirst traps on there. Yeah. Um, it, wow. A flush to my Instagram just now. Um, uh, I think the core fear of being normal um, is that I'm as trashy or terrible as my upbringing made me feel. You know what I mean? So just trying to get away from whatever that feeling was of the neighbors who could probably hear yelling from my house and they give you looks when you go down the street or that poor kid, things like that. I think it comes from... I never thought about that being a part of what somebody who experiences a violent household. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, it just came to me just now. One of my neighbor's moms would, like, help me, like, tuck my shirt in and brush my hair. Like, I didn't know how to do it. It just came to me just now. Like, how many people, how many pseudo-parents you get... <laughs> In the community, when they can see a kid that, you know, everybody knows what her dad's like. You know what I mean? So, I guess those looks and those behaviors and everything that people did, I could feel it. I could feel not the pity, but the, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Just Whatever it was, I didn't like it. <laughs> like being an outsider? Maybe. It was just not as good as their kids, you know? Like they had to protect me or take care of me in some way, maybe. You know? Like and, like, like, um, like you were pathetic? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe they just, you know. I like how I'm just making it worse now. <laughs> like, like, you, you know, were, you were like, hideous? not nosed monster. Yes, it was the stink. The stink <laughs> coming off of me. No, I think that that... Maybe that's where the overcompensation with achievement comes from, too, is like not being seen as special for so long and then just having to like totally do everything in my power to counteract it to the point where it's alienating. Right. Like the most I'm the most competitive person in the entire world. I will I will join a thing and try and be the best at it. I will I will I will quit things if I'm not the best at it immediately. Um so you're a nightmare on game night. No, my friends don't invite me over. Any, they they put me in a separate room. Uh, every year for my birthday, we we they're like, "Do you want to do an escape room again?" I'm like, "Yes," because I need to, we need to get out and we need to beat those times. Um, yeah, I uh, I've never done an escape room. It seems like fun. I imagine it depends on who you're there with. I it, for me, it's fun no matter what. I would do it by myself. I just yeah. love <laughs> the, the idea of like. 
I, I don't know. It's also like a person who's obsessed with true crime, like I am, is just like, oh, could I survive a kidnapping? You know what I mean? Like, just put me in the room. Let me let me test myself. Have you ever done a bit about that? No. You should. <laughs> okay. That would be really. I do. I do say I'm the most. I have a bit about being competitive. I say I'm the most competitive person in the world, and I stand outside escape rooms like they're pickup basketball games. Like I approach people in the parking lot. I'm like, I got forty dollars. I'm good at puzzles. Can I can I come in? Um, but yeah, I, I fucking love an escape room. Probably, yeah, it's it's just practice for kidnapping, right? They don't handcuff you or anything, but I'm just like, if if a, if a serial killer were to throw me in a basement, I, I would hope they would leave, like, you know, some cryptic clues around for me to get out the window <laughs> somehow. Something to keep your mind active. Exactly, yes, yes. You know, you know, like when they leave the dog there, you got to put a busy sure. bone. Just yeah. do that for me. Kidnapping and fun aren't mutually exclusive. Mm-mm. Why don't They just, don't have to be. No, no. I mean, you got to make it fun for you, not just the kidnapping part. Um, yes. <laughs> Thank you for lighting the mood. That was nice of you. Hmm. So as you as you talk about these things, yeah. the remembering what it was like growing up where you grew up and that feeling of, yeah. would it be fair to say, an outsider? Like you weren't like the rest of the families? Um, I, that's weird. That's, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know they could sense tumultuation, you know, turmoil going on. I don't know if we were that different. I grew up in a cul-de-sac. So, so did I. Yeah. There's something good about that. I love, I love growing it. up. We backed yeah. up to woods and it we was like too. our own little world. We had a little, um, <clears throat> like a fort back there. We oh, each the had a best. tree. Building the fort, yes, you find a nice that. tarp, some milk uh, crates. Yeah. You had a different fort than I did. Yes. <laughs> you had a tarp on yours? Yeah. You were rich. No, we just had a pit. We just yeah. had a pit with garbage in That's it. That's what we called ours. We <laughs> called it the pit. pit. We had the pit. Oh my, oh my God. God. You had a pit too. Yeah. So yeah, cul-de-sac living, you know, it's... I, I pity the kids nowadays. You know that what I mean? That don't get to grow up that don't get to, you know, and we were like, you know, don't come in until the street lights come out, you know, yes. you know and um, that was good times. Like, you know, yes. and like I said, it feels like you're being raised partially by your neighbors too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially in a cul-de-sac situation. Everybody knew everybody's name. Exactly. Yeah. And I knew the guy at the top of the street was a cop. And if I, you know, and his his wife was a nurse, so if, uh, every time my tooth was loose, I would go to her house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so we had, everybody had their thing, and then I just happened to have the house with kind of the crazy dad. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of, you know, they were partiers. They were fun. Um, And it's it's funny, most of this information I get from my old babysitter. Really? Who, yeah, she was, she's 10 years older than me. We still hang out, but she'll, she'll sometimes tell me stories and validate Things you know, I was a kid going through this. I was eight. She would have been eighteen. You know what I mean. So she was able to see my childhood through the eyes of you know a teenager who was between the two ages. And she she sometimes will just be like, "Yeah, it's crazy because everybody in that neighborhood liked your mom. She was super funny." And I was like, "My mom was funny." She goes, "I think that's where you get your humor from." I was like, "I thought I got from my you know." And she's like, yeah, he would say, th- he would try and cut her down. He would say things. Grew up on a cul-de-sac. Yeah. You had this kind of tumultuous uh, relationship. What Were you a high-achieving student at so school? It's it's funny. I wasn't at first. Um, I remember, I think I was like even probably the smelly kid up until like third grade. I remember I would like forget I had homework and leave it in my backpack. And my mom would be like, do you have homework? And I'm like, yeah. And I would like look in my bag and it would be under... Um, a packed lunch that had been in there for four days that had fruit flies all over it. And my mom's like, what are you, 
what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, the homework's in there somewhere. And I was uh, best friends with the smartest girl in the class, right? Mm -hmm. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? It was a great thing because uh, eventually I saw how much attention she got and how much praise she got for being very smart and a good student and very- From the adults. From the adults and very clean and pretty. And I remember being like, I want to be like Maggie. You know what I mean? So I, like within like the first like month of thinking that, like I started getting straight A's and- Became like her sidekick, <laughs> eventually surpassing her. Did uh, you? Yeah, no, <laughs> I did win the science fair. Her mom did question uh, the legitimacy of the vote. However, um, I, I really, 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 I can actually pinpoint it to that girl, that moment, like the amount of attention she was getting for being smart. I was like, I got to be smart. Like, I got to be, I got to be high achieving. I got to like. I wanna, and so what age did, did that Third happen? grade. What is that? Eight. I don't know what kids are now. Like I think eight. it's eight, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Eight, nine. Because mm-hmm. I remember my, I could see my report card and it was like D's and F's in second grade. And then third grade, it was straight A's. Right. So like, I knew I wasn't, I I knew if people pushed me, I could do like, I just didn't know that I needed to, I guess it, it was right. never that important to my family if I got straight A's. Right. But then it became important to me later on. Do you struggle to find the line between putting in a best effort and, you know, going nuts and worrying about things that don't need to be worried about? Is there a line? (laughs) (laughs) What is that line? I am an overthinker and uh, anything, any possible worst case scenario will have gone through my brain. That's why when COVID happened, I was like, this is fine. Like... I was the same way. Oh my I was gosh. like, this is the first time the external world matches my inner world. And I felt val like I was just like, see, I knew I was doing it for a reason. And everybody right. else is like freaking out. And I was like, well, you know, let's just lay down. <laughs> let's just right? relax. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what kind of protection that provides. Cause most of the time, cause I've been doing cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh. And most of the time, um, you know, it's my black and white thinking. I got to prepare for the worst case scenario or the best case scenario. But often it is somewhere in between that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think only like twice, maybe a worst case scenario has come true. Probably only once like a best case scenario. And then everything else is somewhere in between. So I don't know what the worry actually protects me from. I I think. Nobody ever pulls us aside and says, okay, you've considered the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Now stop obsessing about the worst case scenario. How do you do and that, And enjoy though? your fucking life. I don't know. When you find out, would you call me? No. Um, no, I won't because I'm just kidding. Yes, I will. I'll call you and uh, we'll chat about it because the ruination is, I think, what literally ruins most things for me. Like, I can, mm-hmm. I can ruminate, like, you know... Um, Nothing is more important than me going over. <laughs> There's a Taylor Swift song <laughs> where she says, um, I replay my footsteps on each stepping stone, trying to find the one where I went wrong. And I was like, God damn, if that is not like my motto, <laughs> yeah. put it on a sash and let me wear it out for my birthday. So regret's a big. Re- I don't want to regret anything. So I will literally, anytime I have a negative emotion or 
you know, feel betrayal or anything like that, I will put it upon myself to to replay everything in my head to make sure that I don't put myself in the same position where someone can hurt me again or I could get hurt again or I could make a mistake again. So I will literally uh, unpack a problem until it's just like shredded hamster cage (laughs) bits and I will just... You know, it doesn't get any, I mean, it doesn't protect me from anything. I'll probably still make the same choices or same mistakes. It doesn't. And and is it person specific as in, you know, that guy was a dick to me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to open up to him again. Or is it, I'm not going to open up to people again. It's more like, yeah, I'm going to open up to get him again and then I will uh, regret it. (laughs) Or like, you know, I never even like follow, like I've had friendships where people have been, it's mainly friendships and stuff like that, where people have been crap, you know, shitty to me. And I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to tell him how I feel and I'm going to talk about like how that sucked and I'm going to make sure that they don't do that again. But I still allow them and like the boundary. Right. Is still. I mean, you grew up with no fucking boundaries. No boundaries. No boundaries. Boundaries are. I. (laughs) I'm really good at saying what they are. I'm really bad at removing myself when they're crossed. That's. Boy, did you hit the nail on the fucking head? It's so hard if we because Mm -hmm. if if we're wired to want everybody to get along Mm -hmm. so the room can be happy. Yes. It is totally counter. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm the fixer. So yeah. how dare I have a boundary? Because right. are there any boundaries that you have since you started getting help, mm-hmm. going to therapy, just being aware of your struggles? Are there any boundaries that you have gotten good at enforcing and being able to let it go? Yes. Talk um, about that. I am really good at telling people how I feel and... um Saying stuff like, mm, hey, in the you know, I, I'm not going to allow you to talk to me this way. And if you do, I'm going to exit the conversation. That one's a really good one. I've, I've told a friend one time that um, I, I said, hey, I'm going to have a really like, uncomfortable conversation with you. Um, you can't uh, unload your problems onto me and, you know, talk to me for months and get advice from me. And then when I see you on social media doing the exact opposite thing that you said you were going to do and then ghost me and then try and come back later and talk to me, I was like, all you have to do is have a conversation with me to say, hey, really appreciate you giving me that advice. I'm unable to take it right now because of my mental health (laughs) and I still want you in my life. And I was like, I just need to have this conversation with you and then we can squash it and move on. And literally, those are the best people that are most receptive. They're like, thank you for calling me out on my bullshit. And those are friends. Let's move on. And I do. And I do. I completely let go. And I go, come over next weekend. You know what I mean? Those are the people that I respect. I think the biggest boundary I put up was with my father, my abuser. And I haven't talked to him in two or three years. I haven't seen him. And I said to him, I said, if you are going to say sexual things in front of me, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. We're not going to have a relationship. And he... He would call me every now and then, and then we'd get on the phone, and he would make a joke about, say, you see, see Lady Gaga? You know, she's, and he, he tries to write jokes for, like, my stand-up and stuff. He'd be like, uh, something, something, dicks in her mouth, something, something, come. And I'm just like, I'm going to hang up the phone now, and we're not going to talk, because this is not, I'm not your friend. That's so fucked up. It's so fucked up, and he just won't do it. So finally, 
I told him, I'm like, I just stopped taking his calls. And I was just like, I would love to have a relationship with you that's father-daughter. And I, this is not it. And my sister still talks to my dad. And he, I think he's written me out of the will. <laughs> I think that, you know, she kind of brags, oh, dad got me this for Christmas. Dad got me this. And he, he buys this. And I go, well, that is the penance that you pay to put up with him. Mm-hmm. The penance I get is peace. For, you know what I mean? Yeah. I choose peace over money. I cho- I choose peace over being in someone's will. I choose my life now instead of what's going to happen when yeah. he decides to die. And and those are hard choices when yeah. you're filled with fear or guilt or you were raised in an environment where yeah. maybe the church told you you're a bad person if mm-hmm. you turn your back on any family for any reason. Yes, yeah. That's hard. Yeah, I I. I asked a friend of mine whose father passed. I said, do you regret the relationship you had at the end? I know you guys weren't super close. And he's like, yeah, I mean, like, I just feel like maybe you should reach out and say one more thing. And every time I do, I I am left with this, like, eh. You know what I mean? Like, he could give a shit either way at yeah. this point. Um, I know he loves me, I think. Um, in his own way. In his own way, yeah. yeah. I think he's disappointed that... I, he said one time, um, (laughs) this is crazy. He said one time, this is like probably the last time he's ever been over my house. He said, it's so hard to look at you because you look like your mom. Why would he share that? I don't know. I don't know. I do look like her, but I don't know if that, my similar features to her is what makes him mad or upset or... Talk to me the maybe the way he talked to her or look at me the way I don't know. I don't know. But it's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> you know, so it's it's weird. It's weird that I I just desperately want like I see other people's parents and I'm just like, oh, why? Why do some people get that? And some people don't. It sucks. I mean I'm not an or I could be worse, you know what I mean? Yeah. But just it's, hearing yeah, you hearing you validate like some of this stuff on here. I'm just like, fuck, that's great. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like I wrote, sometimes I just want my dad to die so I don't have to deal with him anymore. I also feel like there's a lot of similarity between my father. Oh, no, nope, not reading that. <laughs> not I'm reading gonna, that one. I want to read it. I'm not going to read it Father and me. That's what I'll finish the sentence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't going to read it out loud. No, I, was I, I started it. reading it and then I was like, maybe you should do some pre-reading. But yeah, I. that's a thought. Dad, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, you were you you were not easy to deal with it. Most, I there's that guilt with if they do die, if a parent passes away, um, I know that. Sorry, I know that you might have dealt with something similar. I, 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 okay. I, I yeah. do, yeah, yeah, with with my mom, and she's yeah. you know she's quite old, yeah. And uh, you know, last time I was talking to somebody from my hometown, mm-hmm. he was like, "Paul, please contact your mom. Yeah. You know, she's old, and it's just all the years of therapy that I've yeah. done. It's been all the time I have spent in my support groups." Mm-hmm is to preserve my mental health. And I've tried a thousand different ways to be able to have a relationship. I've tried to set boundaries and say, please don't do this. Please don't do that. Mm -hmm. And she, she doesn't listen. She may listen the first time, 
Mm-hmm. And and it's not like I'm expecting perfection. I'm just e- e- expecting effort. effort. Thank you. Can you? That's sh- the perfect word for it. Can you just show me that you would are are trying? A li- you know what I mean? Oh, hey, I I noticed that I was talking to this way earlier. I'm really sorry about that. I know that's some and a boundary of yours, and I realized that I crossed it. And I'm sorry, or right. I'm crossing your boundary now. Now, oh my gosh, I can't believe. I, yes. You know what? I'm really sorry. I'm going to keep working on that. I'm yes. going to keep working on that. It is the utter denial <laughs> and the lack of acknowledgement, and the that's your problem. That's not my problem. Yeah. You're not going to tell me what to do. Kind of attitude that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like people like you and I are probably really good at reading feedback from people if we hurt people mm-hmm. we would be like oh my god thank first of all thank you for telling me mm-hmm. i don't want you to feel like that no. what can i do to change that in the future right that's the only genuine true apology is acknowledgement of a wrong maybe even talking about you know you, you acknowledging how that made that person feel genuine apology and then promise of change behavior I had to learn that. Yes. I had to learn that because apologizing almost hurt. For yourself to do? For myself because it felt like I must be a terrible person if I made a if mistake. If you're apologizing? If I made a mistake. If you made a mistake. Okay. And it just felt like because in, in my house growing up, mistakes could be weaponized mm. to be used at a later date. Be brought up again? Yes. Okay. And so... Constantly or just one... Not constantly, okay. but enough. I was a very sensitive kid, so mm-hmm. it's... I'm sure a lot of people could have grown up in my house and been fine, but... Are you triggered by the words like always and never? Um, I'm aware of them. Okay. Because I know that they they are uh, a part of black and white thinking. Yeah. And so I, when I find myself saying always mm-hmm. or never... To myself, I'm like, okay, you're put the whip down. Yes, <laughs> you know the, the world is somewhere in between black and white. I I think I should get like a tattoo of a zebra just so I can yes. like look at it and be like, it's it, there's so much. It's not black, and, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like some kind of reminder because it's. And you know that that is constantly. one of the characteristics of being raised by a narcissist is black and white thinking. I think I've, I've read. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Alan Rappaport, his article on co-narcissism, uh, that blew my mind, that article. Dr. Remini, Dr. I mean, like, yeah. uh, nar- I feel like I could be a narcissistic therapist at this point by reading up on all narcissistic trauma that has happened. Mm-hmm. And it's literally fits my, I think, not both my parents, sorry, mom, but like I, just a lot of. A lot of that raised by narcissists. It's, uh, man. And, you know, one of the things that's a, that's a mind fuck is wrapping around your, wrapping your head around the fact that somebody can be both toxic and kind of narcissistic and also have a part of them that is good and loving. Oh my gosh. They're charismatic people too. Yeah. And they make you feel good about yourself. Bef- right before they make right before you go they in. put the knife in. <laughs> you know, they have, you know, I read about the Darvo technique of like deny, uh, what's the other one? Deny, accuse, reverse offender to victim, reverse yeah. victim offender. Like that, like you start telling them that you hurt me this way. Oh, no, that, that well, hurts should, me. I'm just going to kill myself. Yes, then. that. I'm the victim now. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and then, you know, the, 
if you can win a narcissist over, like that is a great feeling as well, right? Like, oh, I've, I'm so special. I'm so powerful. I'm powerful because the person who is always angry now loves me, right? Mm -hmm. So you live for these breadcrumbs. Like you live for these like tiny pieces of love. Oh, the banquet. Uh, the you banquet of feast crumbs. on it. Mm, and then you just, you know, wake up the next day and it's totally, you know. So how has intimacy, um, what's that arc looked like for you? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, growing up where intimacy, I imagine, was scary to let people get too close oh no Sh huge anybody giving me attention kind of get closer love me you know so I, I don't know if that's you know but but the real you not the show oh, no not the real me that's what no, i mean no the no no the blonde the, girl the with the belly button ring and the lower back tattoo gets she's she's all about hanging right. out you know what i mean right. but um I I wear a mask a lot when I first meet people too. Even now, I I either will be well. I've also learned to. Uh, oh, I don't know when I let people and I let them in deep. Like I, my friendships are my ride or dies. Um, but growing up, I went to um, I went to like an all black school, and I was one of the white kids, and I learned through like self-deprecation was one of the one of the techniques i used of like oh i'm gonna like if you're you know i'm gonna be i'm gonna be funny i'm gonna shit on me before you do absolutely yeah. and and uh then i went to a private school where everybody was very weary of me and stuck up and and the fun outgoing personality that i learned at my middle school of being like, you know, you're kind of an outsider and you, you want people to like you, you know, and you want, uh, you know, you're going to be funny and you're going to be loud and you're going to be everybody's best friend. When I took that, when I went to high school and I was in the private school, all these girls are like, wow, she likes attention. Wow. She's so loud and we hate her. And isn't she annoying? And so I had to like, literally my survival technique that I learned growing up to like get attention in a positive way. I had to then, completely tamper whatever light I had because everybody hated that, right? They were just like, you're wow. the worst. And so I I literally sometimes have to feel, I, I'm way better now. I'm way better. Like, I'm okay with myself because you don't have to like me. I like me now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But before I was like, any room I was in, I was like, okay, uh, who are we going to be? <laughs> what kind of chameleon are you going to be? Are going to be, you know, and yeah, I, opening up is hard when you don't know how it's going to be received. Especially and if you feel like the real you needs to be. Yeah, and you need you need to kind of uh, mm -hmm. you know keep a certain part of it hidden. Yeah. or just let out a little bit. And yeah, it it's we know when we're being phony. I think. Yeah, I haven't been phony for a long time, which feels really good. But I felt the phoniest when I was at my all my corporate jobs, and yeah, <laughs> anything I was doing then, the phoniest person. But yeah, even like when I'm quiet at like a dinner with like new people I don't know, I'm just like, this isn't me. Like I'm not, I'm not someone who just sits here all mousy and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, when you say intimacy too, it's like, I don't know if I ever told anybody any of this stuff about my childhood or anything until like way later like late 20s 
which I feel like. And what brought that about? Oof, hmm, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you can't you can't hold it in forever, I guess. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just wanting to be seen for something more than you know surface level, or or maybe just like explaining some of my behaviors, like mm-hmm. you know through like long term friendships or you know people I'd known for ten years. If I was doing something. Or we were fighting and, you know, I would look at myself and be like, hey, why am I doing this thing? Or like, why do I react in this way? Or why do I present this narrative? And then I would I would go deeper and be like, "Okay, well, when did I start doing it? Okay, what was I doing before that? And I was able to really like go back in my memory and be like, "Okay, I really think it all stems from this thing, you know, and so that I'd be able to explain to this person like, hey. It's nothing against you. I, I'm I'm working to correct this behavior, but I think it's it comes from this thing. And I, I remember being like, I think it's something, you know, you know, probably very judgmental of self help very early on, being like, oh, everybody's childhood was bad. You think you know, like you can't blame everything on having a bad childhood. So I think I would have that mindset, and then literally. Later on, I'm like, you you can totally blame things on me. <laughs> Your yes. childhood, like, just come, just lean into it. You had a shitty childhood, made you the way you are, and uh, it's okay that everybody has a little bit of trauma, and that kind of helped figure out and mold them into the person they are today. Everybody has a story, right? Everybody um, has a story. It's what do you yeah. do with it now? Yes. So I think, uh, sorry, I feel like I'm talking in circles now, um, but yeah. I lost my own train of thought. So um, when you filled the survey out, <laughs> yeah. you were married. Are you still married? Yes. Uh, so talk about your relationship with your husband and mm-hmm. any struggles or victories that you have had in in you growing emotionally. <sighs> well, I've, I've gone to therapy. Um, so I think that's a huge win in itself. Um, I don't know. I just think I'm able to communicate calmer as well with everybody around me not just Mm -hmm. you know him but i think that being able to like listen (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. instead of always feeling attacked by people's criticisms of me too is a big thing um because it's not all about me you know what i mean it's not all about the good news and the bad news yes yes and i'm also able to communicate a lot healthier about like what my needs are too like i don't just say like I'm mad or I'm sad. I'll say something specific like, hey, it would be really helpful if X, Y, Z, right? You have to kind of be specific when you're guiding people on how to treat you now because... And express your feelings instead of Mm -hmm. summing up who they are as a person. Yeah. You know, you're such an asshole when you... Instead of just saying, you know, my feelings got hurt Mm -hmm. when you didn't ask me... Uh, what restaurant I wanted to go to. Yeah, if, if only that was the thing I got yes. my feelings hurt about. But yeah. that's why I asked you about the triggers, about the never and always thing, yeah. is because sometimes I'll find myself being like, oh, it's always like this or never this. And then I'm like, well, that's not true either. So when I'm compl- yes. like, I have to look at the whole picture of my entire life and be like, am I really mad about something that you right. think really never has happened? You know, um, right. or is it just like, hey, address the thing that's actually bothering me instead of just painting generalities with people yeah yeah Uh, always and never is a really two really unhelpful words in communicating with people learning uh, communication language and like using i and and Mm -hmm. things like that 
has really helped me uh, take ownership and have self-actualization on like mm-hmm. my own behavior. You know what I mean? Because I feel like I try and control other people too. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be the codependency or the fixer thing of like, hey, I can see you doing that wrong. Like, let me tell you how I would do it. Or let me badger you <laughs> to, right. to show you how it should be done. And, and then and lying to yourself, thinking I'm helping when they didn't ask for help. They didn't help, ask for help. And you know why I'm helping you? Because I don't want to look at myself. Right. You know what I mean? If I focus on all your problems and exactly. what you're doing wrong, um, I don't have to worry about all the shit that's going on in my life and all the <laughs> stupid things I'm doing. Right. Yeah. So I, I think the more self-aware I am sometimes like the more powerful I feel. And I know that people probably run from self-awareness cause they don't want to be introspective and be like, Oh, I'm a shitty person. And it's like, well, we're all a little shitty sometimes. Right. Yeah. And if you can own your like <laughs> side of the street where you've been shitty and be like, okay, I don't want to be shitty anymore. And I, I want to be better in X, Y, Z ways. And I want, you know, you have to, you have to be self-aware and that's hard for a lot of people. It is. I, I don't mm-hmm. think there is a chance at inner peace, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. without looking at your wrongs. And the manner in which we look at them is right. so important to look yeah. at them from a enlightenment perspective rather than this is my value as a human being. I've made this many mistakes, so I'm this many pegs below the average person. Absolutely. I we're all comparing ourselves you know who yes. who gets who gets to be the saint right. and who gets to be the sinner that's and, why we and, watch hitler documentaries it's like i'm a good guy look at me i'm I, yeah I'm, yes. that's why i love the shame and secret survey sometimes i'll yes. listen to the podcast and be like i'm fine uh no i love you all um but i i wrote um a children's book this year about anxiety what's it called it's called you are actually quite small um and the th- the thing that you just said about pinning ourselves up again and and not being self-actualized. I wrote it. There's a, there's a page in there which just says, it says, nobody's looking at your mistakes because you're actually quite small. And I, I, I felt like, you know, sometimes kids might read that and be like, oh, am I not important? It's like, no, it's actually kind of a good thing because we think our mistakes are a reflection of us and that's all people are looking at, right? right? When we wear our shame or we are self-actualizing and we are self-aware of ourselves, we know what our problems are, our traumas are, our shames are, and we think that everybody can see them just looking at us, right? Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, like there's billions of people in the world and you're walking by someone, they can't tell what a shitty person you are, Right. right. Even with that Hitler mustache, right? They're just gonna no. Um, yeah. So that's self awareness. Sorry. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, anything else you'd like to to share before we wrap up? Oh wow. Um, I don't know. Can I just thank you? Is yeah. that really weird? Would, would, would that be weird if I said no? You can't. Yeah. Well, I'm going to anyway. Uh, before you yeah. do, or before yeah. you do that, read the end part of your oh. survey. Anything you'd like to share with somebody who shares your and thoughts? And you know what? I remember this because you read it out loud, and I put "wide world," and you stumbled upon reading, and I was like, "Why did I give him a fucking tongue twister to read?" Which one was this? Oh. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts and experience? I want to thank Mental Pod for being a place where I can feel less alone. 
It's so true. It's so true. I've been listening to your podcast forever. I was listening back when you were, um, I think you were making like uh, cutting boards yes. for people. Yes. yes. Um, and every time I go on a road trip or, you know, I put mental pot on, I just, I listen to the shame and secret surveys and the awful some moments and the happy moments now, which are yeah. my favorites. And I just realized how many different people there are operating in this world and how different we all are. But we share the same human qualities of like, we all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. We're all all, afraid. We're all. Yeah, absolutely. We're all going to make mistakes. And are you going to look at me, Paul? Are you going to look at me and tell me I'm a bad person? No. And I'm not going to look at you and tell you a bad person. Right. Like we're. We're all just trying our best and like, let's just go out in the world with that. (laughs) You know what I mean? And have grace for ourselves as much as we have for everybody else. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thank you. Really, really enjoyed talking to her. Um, It's always nice to meet somebody who's filled a survey out. See the face behind the survey. So easy to talk to. Kelly uh, emailed me after we recorded and she was regretting saying the thing that she said about wishing that her dad was dead. And I, and, and I said, you know, I've spoken on air about having those thoughts about my mom. And I think you and, and I and a lot of people, what we mean when we say that is we don't wish them dead. We just wish the stress of the complication of them being in our lives would would go away. And I said, is that accurate? And and she said yes. And I said, well let let me just say that then at the at the end of the episode. So hopefully that that clarifies it. Um before we dive into the surveys, um I would love some more support on Patreon if possible. Um patreon.com slash mentalpod you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month, and it really, really helps. Everything uh, helps. You can access bonus content there. Um, sometimes I post pictures or videos of Gracie, you know, maybe jokes I came up with, um, all kinds of stuff. That would uh, that would help greatly. And of course, subscribing to the podcast. I know you don't get asked enough in your life to like or subscribe things, so I thought I'd step up and be the friend. That helps you put subscribe on your to-do list. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled up by Clementine, and she writes, Just curious about your family, because I know you've talked about your mom a lot, which makes sense, but do you have any other family? What about your dad? If so, how do you feel about your other nuclear family members? Um, thank you for that. Uh, my dad passed in 06, and um, his his cause of death was officially listed as that goddamn nosy Clementine. So I don't know if that's related to your question, but um, I'll leave it for you, Clementine, to figure out. My dad, in all seriousness, my dad was a difficult person to, he was an easy person to live with because he he really kept to himself and was in many ways not there as a dad, but he was not an in-your-face type of person. But he was difficult to make memories with because he was rarely fully present. He, from as long as I can remember, six, seven, I remember a part of me feeling sorry for my dad because he seemed to be missing something that the average person has in being able to relate to other people and to converse. Um, not that he couldn't have moments of it. If it was a subject that he was uh, passionate or knowledgeable about, he would light up. You know, if you were talking about bridge or baseball or or other sports. Um, but he was a really, really bright guy. Uh, very, very um, Wharton educated. He was an actuarial um, and he just loved crunching numbers, loved statistics. But he was a difficult guy to build memories with. Um, and after he died, he died in 06, and after he died, I, I felt bad because I thought I would feel more sadness. And the first time I cried really hard after my dad died, he died in January of 06, was March of that year. And every year when March Madness, the NCAA men's basketball tournament, would roll around, I would call him up and ask him who he thought was going to win. And I, and I was in my car. I was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And I reached for my, my mobile phone to ask him, and obviously, I immediately went, my dad's not alive anymore. And I broke down and cried because that was a memory with him that I, I was fond of. So a complicated relationship, um, to, to say the least. But um, he was, yes, I did love him. I did love him. He he certainly failed as a father in a lot of ways, but I think a lot of parents do. I think it's a, probably a really, really fucking hard job. Um, we were also raised, I, I, I'm not going to talk about my mom because I've talked about her, ad, I feel like, ad nauseum on the podcast. Um, uh, my brother Dave, uh, who's a year older than me, I get along well with. He uh, still lives in Chicago. He's got three kids. He's a lawyer, and he's uh, been extremely supportive of me in everything that I've done, uh, my career choices, um, my issues with my mom, and uh, I love him. I love him dearly. And also, I was raised with a cousin. He came to live with us uh, when I was uh, a year old. He's 13 years older than me, and that's my cousin, John. Um, and I uh, love him. He was my hero growing up. His sense of humor, um, and he's a handsome guy. And the, you know, the girls would come out of the woodwork when he would come home on break from, from college. 
and I just wanted to to be like him. I just, to make him laugh was nirvana for me, and uh, and we still have a good relationship uh, today. We we definitely make each other laugh. So that's my and oh, and my grandmother um, moved into our lives. I think when I was probably six or seven, she moved uh, back from New York, and she was an interesting lady because she she. She was one of the most, um, she was even more emotionally withdrawn than my dad. I think I only saw her laugh hard once. And uh, it really makes my heart kind of break for my mom that that not only did her dad abandon her, and not only was she left to be raised by other relatives because her grand, her mother, my grandmother, went to go take a job in New York. But when my grandmother did come back into her life, it was, it's a cold lady, you know, not a mean lady, just cold. And, um, but I did love her. She was my only, the only grandparent I had in my life. Um, but there you have it. I hope that painted a, a picture. This is from the, I shouldn't feel this way survey. And this is filled out by a guy who calls himself John. How would you like to be remembered? He did his best. He was bright, creative, and loving. He went on some big adventures. Loved dogs, cars, architecture. He positively affected my life. How does writing that feel? Feels fine. The last sentence makes me feel a bit sad. Uh, That's the sentence, he positively affected my life. How would you use a time machine? Maybe to be less timid as a teenager, less afraid of teachers and other adults. These traits led to a lot of other events that limited possibilities for me. If I, if I had unlimited time machine trips, I swear to God, I would go back to high school classrooms and I would interrupt and I would say, and yes, that would make me an attention whore, and I would say, um, algebra is completely useless unless you're going to become an engineer don't stress you will never use this focus on learning how to relate to fellow human beings and how to take care of yourself and then i would i would gracefully dip and say au revoir probably pronouncing that incorrectly uh, please write as many of these as you're, uh, as you feel like I'm supposed to feel blank about blank, but I don't, I'm supposed to feel okay about my dog's death, but I don't, who is telling you that you're supposed to feel okay about your dog's death? Losing a dog is, is I've cried harder over dogs than I have people. And I don't know if that's a terrible thing that makes me a bad person, but that's the truth. Uh, they write, I feel, and this is in, in caps, inexpressibly sad sometimes. Of course you do. That was your baby. That was your baby. If you haven't listened to the episode with Dr. Guy Winch uh, about um, grief, it's a really good episode. He wrote a book about the two things that people kind of get... Uh, the short end of the stick on support from is grief over the breakup of a relationship that isn't a marriage and the grief over the loss of a pet. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book. 
and uh, he reads from some of it in the in the episode that we have on and we especially talk about losing losing dogs and how hard that can be so i feel you man thank you for writing in and and i'm sorry for your loss uh this is from the struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself rel about her depression she writes persistent depressive disorder feels like standing at the bottom of a deep dark crevasse with no means of ascending and everyone standing at the top yelling for you to come up it's a good one about her anxiety anxiety feels like being on a steep steep hill in a car with no brakes uh body focused repetitive behaviors picking plucking biting etc it feels like an irresistible buffet of poison oh those are good Snapshot from your life. We are 12, laying on top of your trampoline, looking at the stars against the black sky, talking about existential topics not typical for kids of 12. It's dark. We scare ourselves and run inside. We are 14. We're trying to have sex in your bed, but I can't perform. We've tried before, and I've not been able to yet. It always ends with me crying. You let me get dressed and go downstairs. You come down, put on Barry White, and kneel with one leg next to me on the couch. You lean in close to me and tell me, you know, I could rape you if I wanted. We are 15. You notice my self-harm marks. You're the only one who noticed. You say, you can't even cut yourself right. You're supposed to go down the river, not across the stream. I am 27. I don't remember losing my virginity. Why don't I remember losing my virginity? I remember the moments with you before, and I remember the morning after. Why can't I remember the act? Sometimes I wonder where I would be without you. Wow, that is heavy. Holy shit. Thank you for sharing that, Rel. This is from the uh, Shouldn't Feel This Way survey, and this is filled up by uh, Wilma. How would you like to be remembered? As someone who is gentle, funny, and authentic. How does it feel writing that? Strange that I don't have higher aspirations like helping people or accomplishing something. You know, when I read that, that, that you wrote that, I thought, you know, I think helping people and accomplishing things, I think are byproducts of finding our authenticity because then I think it, it, it can come natural to us. And yeah, sometimes it can happen the other way around, but I think the more authentic we are, the more in tune we become with our feelings and, and what we like or don't like, the more we get filled up with energy and the more energy we have to share with other people. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, how would you use a time machine, sadly, to prevent the human race? I would not be reading this, Wilma. A cockroach would be reading this. And you wouldn't even be there to be hearing this. It would be another fucked up cockroach. I'm supposed to feel secure about having a job and a long-term partner, but I don't. I feel trapped and scared and insecure. I'm supposed to feel anger at my dad for not being there for me and bringing me down, but I don't. I feel despair and hopelessness. I'm supposed to feel included when my co-workers engage, engage in friendly conversation, but I don't. 
I feel like I'm acting and I get stressed. I'm supposed to feel grateful for my current life, but I don't. I feel tired. I'm supposed to feel indifferent about other academic success because I'm not that smart, but I don't. I feel jealous and angry. Excuse me. How does it feel writing your real feelings out? It feels really good. I'm glad that feels good to write to to write those out. Um I think one of the biggest wastes of times in our lives is telling us we shouldn't be feeling what we're what we're feeling. You know, actions are a different story, but feelings are fucking feelings, man. You're going to feel them. It's the feels. Ooh, very uncomfortable with that last thing I added. Very uncomfortable with myself right now. I don't know how much longer my voice is going to hold out. So I am going to read this final thing. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up with this one. And it's a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Rabbit Heart at 4 a.m. And uh, she writes, uh I was back in my hometown and had spent some days feeling miserable. Uh, uh, I was eating junk food, distracting myself, biting my nails, and as I was scrolling myself to sleep with a heart beating like a rabbit, anxiety and chaos were swirling in my head. It was as if I felt all the misery there was for myself, for my childhood, for my parents, for my dog, for the world, for where the politics are going, for the situation in Ukraine, climate change, and all the poor kids and elders and sick and abandoned animals that are suffering everywhere. I was lying like this, not being able to sleep, and trying to read some silly celebrity gossip on my phone as a distraction. I heard a noise outside my bedroom window, and I froze. As the house I live in is only on one floor, my bedroom window is looking straight into the garden and the parking lot outside. Uh, There are lights around the house that turn on when someone is walking. Well, they turned on. I heard the noise outside of someone walking in the snow, and the bright lights from outside seeped through my bedroom curtains. I was scared to my core. Someone was walking outside my window. Someone is out there, and they're going to hurt me. It made sense. My life was a mess. Of course, this also struck me. I'd watched enough true crime, and the latest being the terrible story of Ted Bundy on Netflix. I knew my fate now. This was how it was all going to end. I lifted the bottom of the curtain up, and saw the feet of what was outside. A deer. Four very small and thin deer feet. My heart sunk, and I think I smiled. I looked carefully through the side of the curtain now, and I saw the whole animal. It was scraping through the snow, probably looking for some food. I watched it lit up by the lights. It was a beautiful, mystical, serene scene. I think I watched it for almost a minute before the deer's head suddenly came up and looked straight towards me. Its huge eyes sucked me in, and I think it saw my eyes for some seconds before it ran into the woods behind the house. I stood back in silence. The lit-up garden was now empty. As I laid back down in bed, I felt both connected and bad for the deer. It just wanted food, and here I was thinking it was a serial killer. 
but I felt safe and my beating heart was calm. I thought of the deer, its beautiful, fragile being, doing its best in this human world. It was sort of like my anxiety, terrified of the unknown, with its senses all out to detect danger. The deer and I were terrified of each other, but in reality we had nothing to fear in this garden in the night. The next day I saw the tiny footsteps of the deer outside in the snow, and when the night came again I hoped it would come back scraping in the snow, reminding me that all is not lost, and I'm not alone in this big, cold world with my beating rabbit heart. I fucking love that. Damn. Thank you for that. Like a little movie. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and uh, hopefully next week uh, you won't have have to listen to my uh, raspy raspy pipes and uh, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck just uh, not only never forget that you're not alone but I want to start adding this is nothing degrades the quality of our life like obsessing about the quality of our lives put that in your pipe and smoke it thanks for listening Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.